everybody, and welcome to a very special episode of Fan With a Fanbyte Podcast. It is a spoiler cast extravaganza for 2020's Final Fantasy VII Remake. Uh, a game that is uh, 23 years in the making. It's uh, kind of a bizarre, incredible thing that exists. I kind of can't believe it exists even... Uh, several weeks after beating it. Uh, it's really remarkable. I am one of your hosts, uh, John Warren, editor-at-large of fanbyte.com. Uh, with me are Steven Strong, managing editor of fanbyte.com. Hi, hello. Hello. Uh, with us for the second time uh, in a podcast is uh, Fanbyte Guide staff writer, Colin McGregor. Hi, Colin. Hello. Uh, also joining us is our weekend uh, staff writer, uh, Natalie Flores. Hello, Natalie. <laughs> and uh, finally with us is our morning news writer, Kenneth Shepard. How Sup? are you? Oh, living the dream over here. Mm. Incredible. Okay, before we dive in, I'm going to say this. I'm going to give a spoiler warning. And obviously, if you if you listen to our previous spoiler cast for Control, which was a blast, by the way, you should go check that out. Uh, and if you're just, you know, in the general vicinity of... Uh, of uh, video game podcasts and spoiler cast and stuff you're probably aware of what a spoiler cast is it is fairly self-explanatory we're gonna blow the doors off of final fantasy 7 remake we're gonna go into the ending we're gonna talk about characters we're gonna talk about plot points but this is a little bit unique because we're also talking about a remake of source material that is 23 years old and without spoiling anything else i will say you can't really have a discussion about Final Fantasy VII Remake without also uh, getting pretty deep into details of the original. Um, so yeah, if you've played just the remake and you're like totally unspoiled on the rest of the story, uh, it is, uh, I don't know. If you just like can't deal with the idea of knowing anything past what, the, what happens after you leave Midgar and Final Fantasy VII Remake, maybe shut it off, but also, I don't know. It's kind of all bets are off at this point. So without further ado, I want to ask a couple pointed questions about uh, folks' experience with Final Fantasy and also Final Fantasy VII. Um, who had played Final Fantasy VII, the original, before they played this? Like all the way through or just at all? Um, well, it doesn't matter if you played it all the way through. I had... I went into this game being like, okay, cool, I have played up to the, or like at least past the point where I thought this game was supposed to end, okay. and then then things <laughs> didn't pan out the way that I thought they were going to. Everything happens so, so much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, everything happens so much might be the subtitle of the, uh, the next entries of this series. Um, <laughs> what about you, Natalie? Did you play the original before you played this? As for me, uh, I mentioned this in my um, piece about Aerith, but... I have like a a weird relationship with Final Fantasy VII, and that it was a Final Fantasy story that got me into um, this rest of the series. Even though it wasn't the first that I played, the first was twelve, and I hate twelve. Um, and oh. <laughs> and uh, the I'm sorry, it was Advent Children that got me into uh, Final Fantasy. Um, anyone listening? Yeah, we got episodes on Advent Children and then the spirits within. And, okay. Uh, and so, <laughs> uh, so uh, 
Yeah, I started with Advent Children because it was very accessible to me as a little girl who was like on the internet and could just watch a movie and that was way quicker than playing a game. Um, and then I proceeded to play like through to the end every single Final Fantasy VII adjacent game except for the original. <laughs> um, so I played the original basically up until the point where uh, that person dies, you know. So, um, yeah, <laughs> okay. I kind of was like... Let me set some ground rules. Let's, uh, I, think just, I, to, I think we I, should just say it, right? Yeah, like, we need to just say Yeah, okay, point, where, where Aerith kicks the bucket. Yeah, yeah you know, okay, like, you, you know, where she gets stabbed. Um, so, yeah, I kind of, like, a, a while before that, I stopped for a wide variety of reasons, but I yeah. know everything about Final Fantasy VII, like, in the general sense after that, and I've played every other game in the compilation for some reason except the original so <laughs> <laughs> that's such a good natalie that is such a cursed idea it's you so played, cursed i started with kingdom hearts 2 instead original. of kingdom you hearts played 1 of Cerberus, yeah. but not the original. exactly right i played through that i started kingdom hearts 2 before kingdom hearts 1 final fantasy 10 2 before 10 i'm cursed just in general Jesus. we can move on <laughs> <laughs> that's incredible yeah. um steven you uh, played yeah. the original i played the original i haven't beaten it either but um, wow uh, yeah uh am i the a... only one here that's beaten the original game you might i guess i am that's mm -hmm. wild okay well then i've got a very unique perspective then i can't i can't uh... believe it I know everything that happens in the original game because sure. it, it is a game that I have uh, gone and read plot synopses of and stuff. Uh, I think I like Natalie. I think I mentioned this on the Advent Children podcast. I think I was introduced to it through Advent Children first uh, and then came back later. I did play and did not beat any of these games either. I did not beat Crisis Core. I did not beat Dirge of Cerberus because yeah. uh, I did not have a good time with Dirge of Cerberus. and. <laughs> yeah, uh, about as much catchy in that game as it is in this one too. Uh, weirdly enough, but yeah. Um, yeah, I played, and then I played Crisis Core. I but that was one of those games that is like um, there. There are famously a bunch of like very high profile PSP games that you cannot get digitally anywhere because of music licensing rights. And mm. I sold my PSP to get a PSP Go, which was only or was only downloads. You couldn't play discs. And one of the sacrifices in that transition was Crisis Core. So I sold Crisis Core. Have since bought a PSP 2000 and a copy of uh, Crisis Core in the last like six months or something like that. Uh, do you have the PSP sitting not uh, five feet away from me with a copy with a UMD copy of Crisis Core inside of it? Uh, so I'll get to that eventually. Uh, but yeah, my. My first Final Fantasy was Final Fantasy IX, and that is yeah. the one oh, that the I... Mm -hmm, it's the best. Exactly. It's, mm, mm, mm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I just devour it. Eat it like a little bit of fondue, you know? Mm. Of course. And so tasty. It is no Dirge of Cerberus. It is no Dirge of Cerberus. <laughs> that, you know, you heard it here first, folks. It is no Dirge of Cerberus. <laughs> um... Colin, if I'm not mistaken, this is your <laughs> this is your first Final Fantasy. This is my second Final Fantasy. Okay. I played I played 15 only because I watched Kingsglaive and I was really interested. <laughs> <laughs> I know. <laughs> I mean, it's better to get into it than Advent Children, I guess. <laughs> this is a curse ass podcast. This is some yeah. I, Look, I, I got I got to discuss that this week. It's going to be I, very good. I got in a, I got into 15 solely because I was really interested to learn more about Orden. 
as a villain because sure. he was he was he was like a character that never really got developed in the movie oh, yeah. and I got really interested and I really liked Darren DePaul's voice acting in it. Um, but no, this is I've never I have knowledge of Seven from like just being in the industry and working in it, and, like people making like your top ten videos or whatever and throwing like Eric dying in like the most shocking moment or whatever it is. But no, this is this is and you know from me constantly messaging you going, What the fuck is happening? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I have I have very little knowledge of Final Fantasy. It's never been a series I've been into. Um, I played this one all the way through and I am I am so deeply confused <laughs> about what what I, is supposed to be happening in this game. I'm so excited uh, to know that this is really your first experience with Final Fantasy VII because I guess I'll maybe skip uh, that. There are some really good notes that we've written here. I think maybe one of the the best notes that I've read on on our little document here, and one one that I've definitely discussed with a few people, is who is this for? Who is the Final Fantasy VII Remake for? Because I think at first blush, you kind of assume that it's for a uh, you know a purist that's like you know really excited about the original and wants to kind of see it in this uh, remade and very like you know high tech looking new generation kind of stuff, um, and that that would make sense. Um, but it doesn't quite hit that note and we'll we'll get into that i'm sure um but if this game is your first real experience Oof. with it and colin like please like like tell us tell us like what do you understand about the overall like plot and characters <laughs> of this game okay so i was following along with the game for the most part until we got after the destruction of the, the plate, when they dropped the plate on everything. Okay. Um, I was following along until then, and then when you, like, really towards the end, once you meet up with Red, and the timeline starts to, like, I get, because I had to read up on this, because I had no idea. <laughs> right. Yeah. The timeline, there's apparently multiple timelines, and this Sephiroth could be the Sephiroth from, like, the other game, and the black haired guy at the end is supposed to be dead, but he's not dead. And, and there's just, it like, it, it was just a generally, like, simple story, I guess. Like, it's a bunch of eco-terrorists, Cloud's too cool, for, too cool for school. And, you know, he kind of, I found, like, the journey was kind of up until about the honeybee. It was about Cloud kind of learning to kind of, I don't know, let go, try to not be the stern asshole that he was in the very beginning of the game and then it just goes fucking bonkers <laughs> I just, it's like it was like trying to kingdom hearts level of like nonsense like at the end like it and that's where i don't really understand if this is for someone like me because it feels like the game is meant for me to know what happened mm. before in the other game because sure. almost none of it makes sense like at all of you like really like look into it beyond that like a superficial and the game kind of just meanders about and really doesn't ex like explain anything. Like I remember, I was asking you guys, I'm like, "Why is Soldier all capitalized? Why is this? Why is there?" A <laughs> that, that was one of my favorite messages that I got. Was <laughs> like, "Why is why is everyone screaming Soldier <laughs> in, in these lines?" Uh, like, yeah. why is there like I was? That's why I like the wall market so much because it just embraced this dumb wackiness that the game like was kind of teasing along uh, sure. halfway through. Because it's just like, sure, there's a giant house you're gonna fight. Sure, we're gonna have a dance off with the owner of the honeybee like all of that was really fun and then it just 
you drop the plate, and then there's this cat guy that I've never fucking seen in the entire game, <laughs> mourning, the, mourning the death of probably thousands. It's like if you were in a World War II game playing like Medal of Honor, and like the game ends with Pearl Harbor, and then it pulls out till you see Pikachu like collapse on all fours and just start crying. It's just such a disconnecting feeling because like I'm sure for you guys that made some sense, but like for me it's just like who the fuck is this guy? I, I I will say so so uh and Steven, can you please say the pronunciation of that character one more time? Catchy. Okay. As I I for forever I just said Kate Sith. Me too. Oh uh, my god. That's what I would say. <laughs> this is the first yeah. time this I ever heard it said any other way. <laughs> Steven, can you just yeah, say it I again mean... for, for like oomph for like the emphasis? Cat she, like oh. cat as in just like a cat, like a literal cat, and then she as in like she went to the wall market to yeah. go in act in a dance off. That's here's bonkers. here's my absolute favorite part of this entire saga is that we had and just so so folks know the character of Aerith who we can discuss at length, uh, because she's a, a great character. Um the character of Aerith is known as Eris in the uh, localized U.S. version uh, of 1997. So uh, for many, many years, there was this, like, debate online. It was one of the first, like, debates I remember reading about, like, are you yeah. an Eris or Aerith person in the late 90s? Uh, I remember that a lot. It's, I'm it's absolutely... the Batman versus Superman of video game nerds <laughs> in the yeah. 90s. Um, I'm absolutely loving that the next level of this is going to be in the next uh, version of this game where everyone is like, is it going to be Kat She or Kate Sith? Because, <laughs> um, yeah, that was like, a, that was the thing I didn't, it wasn't even on my radar until a year ago. And I was like, oh, wait, word? Oh, shit. It's not even Kate Sith. Um, it's like, but, it's like Gaelic is the thing. Yeah. Like, si yeah, she, yeah. Sith is pronounced like she because it's the word for, it's like the Gaelic or Celtic or whatever word it is for like demon or spirit. It. And uh, Kate being cat is just, I don't know, just how that word is pronounced in that language, I guess. <laughs> so uh, I will, in broad strokes, take a crack at just kind of like, you know, saying what the original's plot was. And, and I'm going to go from the very beginning of the entire story to the end, and I'm going to try to do it in less than a minute, okay? Uh, you are a mercenary named Cloud, and you were helping an eco-terrorist group called Avalanche in order to plant bombs and basically cause destruction in the city of Midgar, which is basically owned and operated and terrorized by a mega corporation called Shinra. Okay. Uh, during your time doing all this stuff, you also encounter a woman named Aerith, who turns out to be part of an ancient race called the Cetra, who are related to people who were basically precursors on Earth, who were like very in tune with the planet and nature and all this stuff. Shinra basically wants to study Aerith because they think that the ancients have some sort of key to taking them to, quote, a promised land uh, that they interpret as being, like, basically a place where they can be rich and happy forever and not, you know, anything more spiritual and, and good, uh, but something very literal, right? And so during this entire time, Cloud... Uh, has little migraine moments and you get a sense that he's not really who he uh, who he thinks he is he encounters folks from his past including a super soldier named Sephiroth who is singularly obsessed with freeing a alien being from Shinra named Genova in order to uh, basically cause the end of that planet and do what Genova the alien ultimately came to earth to do okay now, Cloud and all of their buddies, they have to basically stop this from happening. And in doing so, 
figure out Cloud isn't at all who he says he was or thinks he is, uh, while also figuring out that, like, you know, uh, he's a clone of Sephiroth, which is a big spoiler from the original, uh, but a failed experiment. And ultimately, you clash with Sephiroth and you win, but not after sacrificing very key character Aerith, who dies at the end of the first disc, which is roughly about halfway through the game. One thing I might add to that, yes. uh, John, just in the middle that you kind of uh, blew past with that yeah. it becomes incredibly central to the ending of this game is that Cloud's memories, the reason that he isn't the person he thinks he is, is because he was experimented on by it was Hojo who experimented on him, right? Yes. Uh, he was experimented on at the same time as another character called Zach. Zach Fair, is that his last name? Zach Fair, yeah. yeah. Although it's probably like Zach Fair because yeah. everything is, uh, <laughs> you know, I guess it's, it's pronounced differently than it's spelled in this game uh yeah but zach Fah, uh, yeah, there you go. is also yeah i just wanted to give the correct pronunciation again to highlight it just like before thank you uh zach and so cloud basically absorbs or or like basically doesn't it's not like magic it's not like he magically absorbs zach's memories it's he has like a traumatic event and blocks out basically a lot of the things that happened in his life and replaces parts of his personality and his memory with zach's like cloud never was a soldier so like cloud's whole cool too cool for school i've got all these skills thing is a complete lie and a fabrication he flunked out of soldier school he never got in and his memory of doing so is actually zach's memory and he like glossed over that part of his life and then zach and cloud after being experimented on and escaping, Zack carried Cloud, as we find out, to Midgar, uh, but was gunned down by Shinra soldiers right outside the city gates. God, this is only the first of three games. Three? You think it's going to be, you think think it's it's going to stop at three? I don't know. I I assume it's going to be so. (laughs) That sounds like enough. So, so I guess I want to say that the sprawling nature of that game it 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 encompassed maybe 60 to 80 hours of gameplay total sure and if you could you could stretch it out to 100 if you did all the the optional stuff so a lot has been made about the fact that like way before the remake release was like how deep would this get because the midgar section of the original generously takes about five hours oh yeah Um, generously absolutely generously and once you leave, you basically go on this globe-trotting thing, and you never really return to Midgar except for at the very end of the game. Wait, wait. So the 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 bit that we played is like only like oh, less than a quarter of the game actual game. Oh, much less than a quarter of the game. Yeah. Yes. John says five hours. I bet most people get through Midgar in like three. Yeah. This is going to be like a thirty-entry <laughs> game. Yeah, so that's that... why John loves it. It's going to be just like Shenmue. <laughs> and yeah, no, it's exactly like Yu Suzuki's uh, sprawling epic in 16 parts, which is what he wanted it to be uh, before Sega was like, are you kidding me, dude? Um, but uh, yeah, like that was what I, as someone who played the original, was going into this feeling like, how are they going to make this section, this massive metropolis that you only spend five hours in generously again? Uh, in the original, like, how are they going to stretch that out? And I think I want to know from the folks who maybe didn't play the original as closely, or at least like don't have this attachment to that being such a uh, kind of minimal part of the early game. Like, what did you think of the pacing of this game? I thought it was real bad. 
Tell me about that. Uh, so the the nice thing is, like, I mean, I don't feel like you spend a whole lot of time, at least on Critical Path stuff, I don't feel like you spend a whole lot of time in any one place that made it feel like it kind of overstayed its welcome, but I also felt like, you know, you, you'll get to it at the end of the story beat, and then it's like, okay, go do all the side quests. Which, yeah. you know, you, you have the agency to not do that, should you want, but it also, like, I was even being told at some point, like, oh, if you don't do all the side quest, quests, then, like, things will be different, or, like, you're gonna miss out on content. It does and there do was that. Okay, I, I figured as much, but like I got to the point where maybe like after three times of that sort of like loop happening, I was like, I don't feel invested enough in the things that it wants me to do to see, like to even worry about what these, this extra content is. And I guess it was like the, the side quests and stuff like that in general are where it felt like they stretched out, or like I guess it's like how they stretched out such a small section of the original game into such a large section in this one game. Yeah, I mean, uh, the one thing that I don't even think I was as um, critical about in my review that I think in, in hindsight I wish I'd maybe spent more time discussing was, like, the side quest design in this game is terrible. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my God, yeah. It's some of the worst I've seen in a long time. Square Enix does not know how to no. design No, and, and I guess my... <sighs> there are two ways in which they stretched they stretched Midgar out. One, they did this the side quest stuff, uh, which was abysmal. I thought what was more successful is when they would take a section of the game in its linear parts that was only one screen. Like, do you remember when, um, you know, so you go to Sector, sector 5 reactor and the basically the path there was literally like five hours of... Um, like basically trekking through like the subway system and uh like scaffolding and that weird area with the fans and yeah. all that stuff yeah the so, underplate thing yeah yeah that was literally one screen in the original yeah and it was a big screen but it was one screen the, and to to further hammer that home there are other parts of this game there are entire dungeons and boss fights that are like a conversation in the original final fantasy VII. correct yeah um and i think like those parts were more successful to me the parts that kind of allowed you to get to know the architecture of the city in in on your quest to do a thing but you know there were maybe only two of those that i thought were um fun and then like the rest of the parts that they stretched out were pretty bad and also the side quest design is is maybe some of the worst in in games that i've played in a, in a long time and I, I think the side quest design is bad and i but i also think even more than the side quests themselves being bad is just that they don't know how to give those side quests to you in a way that is interesting kenneth i think you just alluded yeah. to this a little bit um, mm. I've, I've seen a lot of people saying, like, comparing this game to one of my all-time favorite franchises, Yakuza, if you've uh, ever heard of mm. it, a uh, lot of comparisons to Yakuza in terms of those, like, kind of maybe the size and scope of, like, the different sections of Midgar kind of matching up to, like, a Kamurocho, and then there's, you know, weird, wacky characters you can run into along the way. One of the big key differences between, like, what makes Yakuza feel like such a lived-in and memorable place to just be and not to just look at, which is what I think Final Fantasy VII Remake excels at a little bit better, is they dump you into that city and it's up to you to kind of just, like, stumble on those things 
as like a nice little in-between break uh, while you are like running from one side of the city to another on campaign stuff. And they work in downtime much more consistently to just allow you to, to run around, whereas this game is just like, no fuck you <laughs> like mm. this is the section where you are cloud and tifa this is the section where you are cloud and Aerith. and if you don't complete any of this stuff we're not going to let you come back and do it ever yeah. and we're going to tell you before you go on to the no. next ma- main campaign thing that you are never going to be able to complete this again and as mm. kenneth you also pointed out like there are entire story beats in the main story affected by those things that you can't do and mm. if you don't just sit there and eat your vegetables for four <laughs> hours every uh, uh, it's just yeah. so badly doled out and something I that, something that, like I, like I, it's like this dread I feel in my gut thinking about these next few games because, like, you know, this is where the game, the original game, would have opened up into like a, like what I guess the modern version of what what's coming next is going to be some huge ass open world bullshit thing like Final Fantasy Fifteen was, and I feel like at least as poorly designed as they might have been. I like it's like sort of like the smaller scale intimate stuff that was happening in these smaller sections where now I feel like I'm going to get to like a certain point in the story in the next game and then I'm going to turn around and then it's going to be this sprawling open world that I have to like walk through for instead of like four hours maybe like ten and just it doesn't paint like a very inspiring picture of the ways in which this game is going to expand out when it does. I mean, the the question there uh, to me, like the the thing I like most about Final Fantasy fifteen is that opening part of that game where it is just like you get to walk around and do missions and kind of like experience it because they do a better job in Final Fantasy fifteen at least during those opening few hours of making the journey feel like the destination because they there's enough like sort of environmental storytelling and uh, what's the what's the other word the uh, um, emergent storytelling in the terms of like your characters not, oh I didn't have enough money to get real good food this night so I don't get the better xp buff because we're eating ramen noodles in this campsite instead of staying in this nice hotel or anything like that and i gotta go fight a bigger batter monster that i'm maybe not ready for to get more money to get that xp boost so i'm ready for the next thing and then final fantasy 15 for me falls apart when it's just like okay we we're just gonna wrap this up now you're just on rails for the next 20 hours of this game and if, if so the thing i think that seven could do better in that sense is like hopefully learn from the mistakes of that game and just make that if as long as there is good stuff to do and it is paced properly in that open world i am totally fine with moving over those big spaces but again in this game it is just that it starts with that linear thing that 15 does it towards the end of that game and they patched it and changed it over time with the royal edition and whatever but like when it first initially launched i feel like square enix especially with mainline final fantasy games is lately anyway very very bad on getting anything right on their first try so you go yeah. from final fantasy 13 to 13 2 to 13 3 final fantasy 15 to the royal edition to the you know episode arden and etc 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 and i'm hoping that this means that but but that's the thing though right like you said kenneth it's like they're going to be going for a completely different thing in the next game so are Mm -hmm. they going to learn from that lesson or is the next game actually still going to be bad I, Not still, I mean, but yeah. My my guess is nothing's going to change because just because just from judging from an outsider's looking, uh, looking in, it's it, I think a lot of people have rose tinted glasses when it comes to looking at this remake simply because Final Fantasy VII for a lot of people was such a meaningful, impactful experience because it was a lot of the a lot of people's first games or first like real emotional connection to a game, and I feel like 
Square isn't if that if if the if the fans' reaction, which I think was generally positive from what I understand, was yeah. good, they're not going to really do anything to change it. Simply because you know it's it, if it hits like the the Eris song or it hits those your version of the Wall Market, if it hits those beats that everybody loves and it delivers like a next gen version, people are going to throw money at this game regardless of how good or bad the actual like once you objectively look at it from away from its source material. I think I think that's a that's a really interesting perspective from an outsider but I'll say this I I think playing this game felt like to me that the folks who work at Square right now misunderstood what people were nostalgic for in the original I feel like people there now we're like there's such attachment to midgar that we're gonna hit those beats and then it doesn't matter what we do after that and we can get absolutely and then we can get into that in a little while because i definitely want to talk about the ending for a long time uh in the the ramifications of all of that but like but like to me it feels like to like that they might they might actually change a lot like it they may actually change a lot of how the next entries play out because uh, you know you 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 had a linearity in the sense that you could only really do certain story beats in a certain order but um but yeah you had that kind of openness and exploration on the world map and you could go do some optional things in the middle of these things and and yeah it was a little bit more like your final fantasy 15 um but like I, i feel like they really really leaned a lot into wow like you all love midgar so much and i'm like well yeah but i also love like barrett and red 13 dressing up like sailors to get onto a boat and like <laughs> red 13 has to walk on his hind legs in a sailor's outfit <laughs> to trick people to get onto a boat like i miss uh i miss Aerith being uh, murdered and then cloud immediately going snowboarding like i just <laughs> like, like there are things that i just like they don't would they work in the storytelling in 2020 i don't know if they would but like that's the stuff that i really think about and and like i think they're like uh no you honestly all you wanted to do is is ride your motorcycle um out of the shinra headquarters and get into these fights and i was like ah you know a lot of the stuff you could have left a a lot of this stuff didn't need to be rehashed and retold but you you did it anyway and you you drug it out a lot um i want to ask i want to ask natalie a question real quick yes i think in going back to the discussion of open world versus linearity because like i i agree with a lot of what was said uh by steven especially and and others that were saying i i don't think i don't think square knows how to commit to linearity or open world stuff because what you saw with 15 was a very open world that then went very linear and 13 was the polar opposite where you were dealing with a very linear uh game and then by the end of it it opened up but what did it open up to that was one of my least favorite parts of it yeah yeah when i say that as someone who loves 13 i just don't think i have never gone to final fantasy as a series for open world exploration that has not changed since Mm -hmm. my first dive into the series and i don't think that looks like it'll be changing anytime soon um it's just it it was always an illusion in the earlier games it is still an illusion Mm -hmm. now um 
it ranges in the quality of of how it how well it masks that and it's just not something that I go to Final Fantasy for so I straight up ignored the side quests in this game like mm. almost yeah. all of them um, and I'm not really a side quest person it kind of took me until The Witcher 3 for me to be like oh okay so side quests can be something more than fetch quests but Square Enix is still very much in the mindset that side quests um, are more like fetch quests. At least uh, the Final Fantasy uh, mainline team seems to be. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, so it's not something that I've ever gone to Final Fantasy for, and I can't imagine myself going to Final Fantasy for it. So mm. yeah, there there wasn't there wasn't like an open world, and I imagine that in the next game the open world isn't going to be as open as people would like for it to be. But I kind of I, I would like to think that I. I know generally, after so many years of being into Final Fantasy, um, I have an idea of the strengths and the weaknesses of this series, and one of the weaknesses is absolutely the design of an open world and the side quests and whatnot. Like, Final Fantasy XV did not work for me in almost every way, um, but one of the ways that it really fell apart for me very quickly was just how the quests, um, they I, I guess it's the most admirable attempt at designing side quests that kind of like have some sort of impact, but it was very clear for me from the beginning that uh, the side quests were not anything much more than sort of like fetch quests that kind of give an illusion that they affected things. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how I feel about this game and 13. And yeah, I don't know. Just I. I I feel like Final Fantasy has always been a very linear series. Like, 10 is my favorite, and 10 is a lot of people's favorite, and it is extremely linear. Um, so. Yeah, I mean, you and I have talked just on Slack and stuff mm-hmm. about how, and, I, and I'm very, very, very much on this team now, who, when, when Final Fantasy thirteen came out, I was just kind of shouty about, like, oh, man, it's, oh, it's just a corridor, <laughs> corridor after corridor after corridor, and... After restarting it, you know, yes, like you literally do start on corridors, corridors and yeah. you, you don't really you don't really leave that for a couple hours. But like, yeah, ten is really really linear. Like ten is really mm-hmm. linear. Ten is like going from one side of the screen to the other in like HD, yeah. and so it's like thirteen is a set of corridors essentially, and it's really right. terrible design that it goes from these super narrow corridors to this huge open world that has absolutely nothing going for it. Um, but thirteen yeah. just it it doesn't bother to hide it. The fact that it is well, so linear. Yeah. I think earlier Final Fantasy games did a much better job at that, and I think with thirteen they just didn't prioritize that, and that's sure. totally fine with me. Now, what if I told you... Oh, sorry. Oh, no, no, no problem. I finished there. (laughs) Uh, Now, what if I told you there was a Final Fantasy game that looked gorgeous, had large, giant open areas where you could get into fights as much as you want? I'm the call right now. Oh, no, I've I've been taken away. I'm opening I've been taken by the the whispers. Ah. 
<laughs> no, uh, I wasn't. Please finish, your, please finish your thought. Sorry. So the the thing is, John, that I thought long and hard while Natalie was talking there about which one I was going to say, and you went with the other one. I was going to say I was go- I was trying to decide: Am I going to dunk on John right now, or am I going to dunk on Natalie? And Natalie, I did choose you, much like the Pikachu from earlier in this conversation. I was going to say, what if there was a big, a giant open game that you could, you know, perhaps go to different airports in and fly between different zones to your heart's content? They had boards full of hunts that you could fight interesting monsters and like all these unique weapons and a challenge tower of levels that you could go fight through. And then what if you could, I don't know, do something where you programmed each party member with various AI subroutines that uh, acted for you based on the actions oh, that you no. wanted them to do in given moments? <laughs> So it's Final Fantasy twelve. It's on Switch yeah. right now. It's on sale. I will say, I Final Fantasy twelve was my first Final Fantasy. I do not like it. I always loved the battle system, and I always will enjoy the battle system. That is one of the okay. few things okay. I like about that game. Yeah. So what if I told you Lightning Returns is the best Final Fantasy of the past? Absolutely. No, okay. Um. Hello. I. I'm. You know. Hi. I, I, hello. I can't hear. No. There's, well, you heard the important part. Disconnecting. No, I'm sorry. Oh, no. Hello. Yeah, you you are like you're you're blacking out a lot, uh, Kenneth. Yeah, I don't. I, I can't believe it. It, it just lights it's up green, static. but I don't hear anything. Here, I'll will t- tell you this, Kenneth. I've never played Final Fantasy 13:3, and I'll get uh, to it just as soon as Square Enix fixes the PC ports of Final Fantasy 13 oh. and three. Well, mm-hmm. I can I can confirm after being a real silly goose and just like immediately downloading those on PC without really thinking about it that yeah all three of those are really busted on PC right now it sucks right and they'll never they'll never not be busted probably um okay let's uh let's steer back on course (laughs) for a second and just talk about uh gambits let's (laughs) I wish let's talk about characters real quick so we 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 know and love these characters unless you're Colin and, <laughs> and, uh, then you just know these characters. You just know, yeah. Then you just then you just are more or less aware of these characters. Um, what did what did we think about Cloud, Barrett, Tifa, Aerith, other folks? I thought Aerith was adorable, and I would do anything to protect her. Mm-hmm. Okay. I think she's. Facts. I liked Aerith's characterization a lot. I found her interactions with Cloud to be some of the most genuine and some of the most interesting. Yes. Yeah. Tifa, I'm kind of indifferent on. She just kind of seemed like the hot girl, the hot best friend that Cloud mm-hmm. is like clearly ignoring. Jesse was disappointing because I really thought like Jesse was going to have an interesting characterization and then they just kill her. And oh, Did you beat the game? Yeah, I did. Oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah right, right. Sorry, I'm thinking of a different wow. one. Did, I, mean, I get their name messed up. Did, I don't... Did they ever show her specifically? No. They show her gear it's next to... Implied, yeah. Yeah, her gear is next to Biggs. We just... Oh, okay. Okay. And they're all wearing... And yeah. then... I didn't interpret that that Jesse was alive, though. I, I yeah. said a lot of people did, but I didn't. I thought I, I thought it was I, like... I assume she's dead because she, like, died next to Cloud. Unless, so like, Cloud's Biggs. really... Unless, like, Cloud's, like, really bad at reading people when they pass. Because it's, like, back-to-back <laughs> people <laughs> that he meets that say. just pass out next to him. And he's like, 
I don't know what to do. Goodbye. I'm just going to leave you on here. Clearly he did that with, clearly he did that with, um, well, two things. There's one is clearly he did that with Biggs. So that already happened once. And the the other thing too, is when they talk to Barrett about like what happened to Jesse and Biggs, they don't say that they died. They say that they were badly hurt. And the way I took Jesse's gear being left on the nightstand next to Biggs was that she was the one who pulled Biggs out of the tower. Ah, Mm-hmm. And that I bet Jesse is going to be like a, a character that shows up in some completely brand new context later on in the next Final Fantasy VII chapter. It, she'll be like some leading some new cell of avalanche or something like that. And you'll run into her. Well, See, I did... saw it as like as like mourning almost, like kind of as a remembrance thing because you spend a lot of time with yeah, them early on, too. and they're clearly friends. And I just assumed that that was it because she dies in a really or dies in quotations in a really awkward spot because it's basically like i don't know like two three four minutes before the whole thing goes uh and explodes so i assume she didn't have enough time to get out of there right but again i wouldn't expect that from biggs either who we see is there and also biggs is clearly like in a coma or or just or is just waking up and somebody a somebody had to get him out of there and bring uh him to the leaf house and as far as we know the only people who would know about that stuff are you know cloud jesse biggs like avalanche members wedge gets fucking who the fuck knows wedge gets fucking pulled into the tv with carol ann at the end of this game for some reason wedge defies death so many times in this in this game which which is really interesting because the way that that section plays out in the original is uh, you approach the tower and Wedge just fucking falls to his death like immediately <laughs> and Wedge, like that's the first thing you see and you go up to Wedge and he's like oh cloud oh, and then he dies yeah. and, then you, and then you run up the stairs and then Biggs is like oh, oh cloud no and then he's dead and then you run up a couple more flights and Jesse's like we fucking deserve it cloud oh. and then she's dead and then you go up and then like they hit a button and all that happens happens in literally 30 seconds and it's just really 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 funny to me that like that was so i knew it would be i knew it would be just based on how the rest of the game was going but it's like there was something that actually really worked for me about how quickly abruptly and kind of horrifyingly that wraps up in the original Mm. whereas in this one it's i mean it's a fucking hour and a half of like you got out of the train graveyard and Wedge is there and oh fuck, like go rescue people in, in town and and then this like hour long conversation you have with Jesse and Biggs as they're both dying and it's just that that's maybe part of what was not successful in this game to me it was like they did not edit the parts that they decided to draw out they didn't yeah. like they didn't decide actually it would be more effective as, if this like happens so fast you had no real time to react and think about it which i actually think was a more effective choice than the original can i, can I talk about my like least favorite part of this game story because yeah, it's so i like good villains and i felt like final fantasy had really mediocre villains because it could never decide at least from a newcomer's perspective who was the main antagonist i'm supposed to be worried about like i know just from my knowledge of the game, it's supposed to be Sephiroth, but it does so little to establish him as a character throughout the game that I'm never really threatened to him besides, like, the flashbacks that Cloud is having. And then the game sets up Roach, who... I, is he in the original game? Is no, the no. Bi- no. Okay. So no, they set mean- up Roach that I thought was going to be, like, a rival to Cloud because he's another soldier, and then he just never fucking shows up despite alluding to it, no, like, at the very beginning. 
And then, yeah. And then you got the Shinra president, who I'm like, all right, this is the villain. This is your, it's you against Shinra. And then he just fucking like disappears after your mech fight. <laughs> and then you you go to the wall market, and there's this creepy mob boss guy who also just fucking disappears after his section. And no, then no, you so got the back. you got the pretty boy duo. You have Reno and Rude. And then they they kind of just show up and fuck off for a little bit, and then we're back to Sephra. Like the game can never commit to having one central antagonist because it wants to just shove so much into this game that it just doesn't know what to do with it. I don't. Mm. Well, well, well. I'll let what you I go would, talk. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I, I would say that like as a standalone video game that needs to that 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 mm, maybe needs a strong word. That feels Should. like it ought to have a a coherent kind of narrative thread of, yeah, you have something you're fighting against and you're kind of clear about what that is. Like, yes, as a standalone video game, I think that ought to have that. This game played out much like the original did in the sense that, like, none of these things were focused on it at any point more than, you know, a few minutes and you didn't have time to focus on these things because it was the beginning of the game that introduced you to all of these concepts. And the problem is when, like a- when you leave Midgar, you're basically on a journey to learn more about the things that you were introduced to very quickly. Yeah. But Sephiroth is a reveal hours, at that point. Yes, yeah, Sephiroth is definitely the villain, but like he's not he shows up for a, a split second at the very end of the Midgar section, and then you're basically faced with this boogeyman. Where in this game, they keep dangling in front of you in a in a way that ultimately makes sense if we get into the ending, which we, we will need to start doing soon. Uh but like eh, I don't personally think that was an effective choice. No. Like I, I think it was uh, 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 worse. The game was worse for showing us Sephiroth in its entirety right off the bat. The game would not have I, changed I, if it just pretended Sephiroth did not exist. Like, for the most I, part. But then it could I have think, had the whispers. I think it could have. I right. think it would have changed, but I think they could have dropped, or at least expanded. Because it's a 40, like you said, John, this is like supposed to be like five hours in the original game but we're, we're this is 40 hours now like there's a lot of they're clearly filling time in with just bunch of superfluous bullshit that wasn't in the game like did we need to have roach could we have had another seg- segment if this character is just never going to fucking show up for the rest of the game we should have been introduced to probably reno or them or much earlier or sephiroth much earlier or something to like establish these characters instead of just having these one-offs show up and then I have to remember who they are when Final Fantasy VII Part Two shows up in 30 years. So I, I really want to push back against, like, everything that's being said here. <laughs> oh my God. Please, please go for it. I, I have a couple of problems uh, with, it, like, the... Hmm, I don't even know where to begin. For I think the, the, the central thing, the biggest and most important thing to talk about here is that I think that, uh, not, like, it, weaving Sephiroth throughout this game is the smart choice because... Sephiroth in particular as a figure that you could like a recognizable figure as a meme in the cultural consciousness is a specter standing over this entire franchise and has been for 23 years. He is he is a 
he is more iconic. He is almost as iconic as like the Buster Sword to to Final Fantasy at this point, and in a way that is both you know is obviously good because it's like partially because um, people are just so much identified with Final Fantasy VII at the time and were so huge into it, and just like oh my God, it's Cloud and Sephiroth. He's such a cool villain. He's got that cool song. He's oh he's the one winged angel. He's got that orchestral version in Advent Children. Yeah, all that stuff. But also it's very you know it's it's tough for for this franchise too, and has been you know since he was incepted because it also means that everything that has come in this franchise since then has been basically held by the by fans of the previous games and by people who just absorbed it through cultural osmosis he like everything that comes since has been compared to him or or is going to be held to that standard or whatever and to make this game into what it really is which as we'll get into the <laughs> sequel it is not it is a very badly marketed sequel to Final Fantasy 7 mm. it's not actually a a remake at all basically is what we find yeah. uh, to not address the like importance of that character and like the iconography of like the, the legacy and the history of what this is to not make it into like a thing that it, we are just going to right off the bat I'm going to we know what we are we know what this is and we need to get to the chase on addressing that we are dealing with legacy here we are we are fighting against it in some ways we are leaning into it in others and you can't do that without Sephiroth specifically Sephiroth um, things with like Roche, the the biker guy or whatever. I think that's more just like because that whole arc of Roche shows up when you go to go deal with Jesse's parents and stuff like that, and that's all character building moments and stuff like that. And that's anime. Yeah, <laughs> that's like yeah, that's absolutely like, the most anime Final fight. Fantasy. And I was it just didn't stick yeah, out w- to me, even though it's a totally there- weird thing. Yeah, there, there are side villains in anime. Like, the, the the anime episode where they go to, like, they go on vacation for a weekend to the beach or whatever <laughs> always has that one weird beach bully who's going to be that week's villain or whatever. <laughs> that's Roche. Yeah. That's Roche. Roche is the beach bully. <laughs> Roche is the beach bully. Roche is the, like, kind of yeah. uh, skinny guy with, like, the shitty hair, and he's just like, oh, everybody loves him or whatever, or he thinks he does, but then you come in muscling in on his turf. Shitty hair? And he's like, Excuse me. I think Aloy from uh, Horizon Zero Dawn would like to... <laughs> Like you know, like but, but also, word with you about shitty hair. But but that that whole arc of that of that part of the game is presented as like this kind of side story to character build and develop to develop Jesse and to show the costs of working for Shinra and the costs. Like even if you are working within Shinra and you're not fucking Hojo, you're not Heidegger, you're not even Heidegger's like right hand man or whatever, or Scarlet's scientists who get blown up as she walks out of the room. You're yeah. just like a guy living in this world that is being completely like drained as like this giant metaphor for uh, the United States and like uh, <laughs> and its response to um, look like a, a country that is looking for another war to fight to like uh, propel itself into another age of like exploitation and colonialism. They literally want to find the promised land from Aerith to colonize a new place and take their resources, which Barrett uh, very rightly pushes against is like they have no claim to that land. Like what the yeah. fuck? They, they put material stakes on this story that could so easily ju- and has become in years since such a very big ethereal weird mystical thing and gets there a little bit by the end too but like they know that this part of the game is setting up that stuff like the, the people who are opening the door and I, I think it's Aerith who says that even at one point is like Shinra may, may have started this but you know or, but Sephiroth is the is the yeah. real big bad here the, Midgard like the Shinra is not um, just because Sephiroth is around Shinra is not 
gone. Shinra is not, like, absolved of its crimes. They're still, like, part of all this. In fact, they're a very big, important, deep part of it, especially as you find out Hojo's relationship to Sephiroth and so on. But yeah. I guess that's maybe where I disagree, is that I felt like by the end of this game, Shinra didn't matter at all. Whereas at the at the time of leaving Midgar in the original, you have the specter of this giant mega corporation, and you also have Sephiroth, who is like this kind of uh, specter, you know. And to me, I felt like all of the the wild shit that we will get into soon, I promise. <laughs> um, that kind of ended that game was like. Yeah, I mean, sure, like Shinra, yeah, but also, not only is the Sephiroth, it's all the crazy bullshit that comes with Sephiroth now, that didn't come with him before. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Like, it's not yeah. only Sephiroth the big boogeyman, but it's Sephiroth the, uh, the 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 time warper. Mm. You know, like no, I, I, I don't yeah, know. There was like I think it's very telling at the end. The whispers are surrounding the Shinra building and nothing is allowed in or out. Like it's almost to say like, it's yeah. not about that anymore. That's almost it, what it felt like to me, yeah. but maybe I'm taking that too literally. It felt I, I think the fact that Rufus can, Oh, sorry. Oh no, no problem. I just wanted to chime in and say it felt that way to me too, but go on first. Oh. I mean, it was going to be very short now, I promise, but <laughs> I, I feel like the fact that Rufus can see them at the end of the game is a promise that like, Oh no, this isn't, we're not done here yet. Like we're going another, and we know they're like, well, we theoretically know the game literally ends on like a text plate that says like, Hey, things are going to be very different going forward in terms of what happens in the timeline. But like, whatever it says, like the unknown journey continues or is yet to be written or whatever they say. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Rufus can see the, can see that shit. And Rufus is the leader of Shinra from most of final fantasy seven. Um, he is like the, the like, avatar of that corporation through, through most of that original game. And the fact that he can see those things and we see that Sung can't, um, implies pretty heavily that he's going to be tied into all this stuff too because of course Shinra's not going to leave this weird magical thing you know as a th- as a thing that they can't deal with or or can't exploit in some way i feel mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. i will say the the end of fight with Sephiroth like the last hour hour and a half is really good like as far as like just gameplay wise cuz i i'm hit and miss with the gameplay in this but like the boss fight with Sephiroth and the three, like, elemental creatures that are supposed to, I think, be Cloud Aerith and Barrett, uh, Cloud Tisa and Barrett. Um, it, it, I thought it was all very cinematic in the best way, the actual, like, fight itself and the conclusion to the fight. It's just, yeah. it's just a lot to wrap your head around that it just kind of feels like it stuffs in the last, like, quarter of the game. Yeah. I think, yeah. Um, I think Sephiroth is the embodiment of just how complicated this game and its legacy is because going back to the question of who is this for if you're a new player uh, there's there's no reason why you should care for Sephiroth the game doesn't really establish who he is or it doesn't really set him up well in my opinion um Mm. it just kind of assumes that you know of Sephiroth which is a safe assumption to make but then it, in some ways it leans into its legacy and in some ways it doesn't and it's hard to to feel a specific way like as someone who both knows it really well and also did not finish the original game um, it's just it, it's very complicated for me because I feel like we shouldn't have had a boss battle in which by this the end of this first game we already fought 
the big bad and everyone mm-hmm. joins together in the super anime Final Fantasy like sequence where everyone like <laughs> joins forces and like kicked him and then like Aerith stabbed him with her pole and everything. Like I don't think that should have happened. I think it would have done better without it because now he seems less threatening to me. But then it's hard to sort of distinguish the lines between what makes Sephiroth work as a villain in this in the specific remake and what like the knowledge the cultural knowledge that we have of him as sort of an icon mm. in the video games industry and in video game storytelling um, and it just he just really captures sort of all the contradictory feelings I have about this remake mm. it's such a, com- a, a complex game there's no game like this I think it's fair to say right. um, and it's interesting to sort of evaluate and hear everyone's opinion on him. I don't think he worked for me, but again, do it's we, hard to... Th- yeah? No, go ahead, go ahead. It's just hard to sort of distinguish the lines of you know, between like Sephiroth as we've known him and how well he works here as he is set up in this specific game. Um, yeah. I, I was going to say, I agree with uh, Natalie's point that it, it's unlike a game I think we've had in a while because we've had yeah. remakes. Like uh, The only one I can really think of that's even remarkably close is Resident Evil 2 and 3 where they take the source material but they kind of update it in a new way and kind of expand on areas. But like, this this is different. This, this is, is this different, is just yeah. rewriting the entire mm-hmm. the, from what at least when I'm understanding talking to you guys the the canon of the the story and then I guess that that does beg back to our original question: Is it kind of okay that this game is it for someone like me and it's for someone right. like Stephen and John and Natalie? Uh, people who understand and have a, a much more deeper appreciation for someone like Sephiroth than like me, who just sees him as like anime bad guy number five that's on a list that just keeps growing. Yeah. Just fair. So let's go. Like let's 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 let's, let's talk about the ending. Um, <sighs> who who wants to take a crack at basically how this wraps up? Um, Kenneth, you haven't talked yeah, much. Oh, oh, wait. Are you, so what, Am I supposed to do the, the like the summary here? Like explain yeah. what happens. Yeah. How, how does it end? How would how do you interpret all of this? <laughs> what is your take? Yeah. <laughs> hmm. No pressure. Okay. Whatsoever. Well, for so, for summary's purposes, we learn that these whispers that have been bugging us throughout the entirety of this game are basically attempting to hold the story of Final Fantasy VII together. <laughs> and any time that we are starting to go off course, they interrupt and they push us in the other direction. Um, a lot of that has come from Sephiroth's weird insertion into this story that is relatively vague, but also, like, anyone who, you know, knows of the original game knows that he's not supposed to be here right now. So, uh, we learn that they are basically these Arbiters of Fate through Red 13, who that's what, that's what he calls them, and that they are basically trying to, like, again, like, they're trying to hold everything together as, as it's supposed to happen, which we see, like, Sephiroth kills Barrett, but then they revive him, because that's not, like, that is not the death that fate has decided for him um and then so the whole gang is like you know what fuck fate and so we have to go through this <laughs> we have to go through this whole you know big boss battle against both sephiroth and these whispers of fate and then so now in theory everybody should be on the same page like nobody knows what's coming next everything is like right mm-hmm. everyone should be kind of i guess you know it's going in like with a somewhat of a clean slate, like not expecting any specific thing to happen or play out the way it is 
quote unquote supposed to. Right. Which doesn't necessarily mean that there won't also be a bunch of shit that makes it like very difficult to follow if you don't know the game unless they do a lot more work in the sequel to set up these characters because I think that is the thing that falters here I think addressing characters like Sephiroth and Zack are fine to do but I think what they should have done was then just like explain who those characters yeah, if are if I was a new player game. I'd be like who the fuck is this when Zack shows up <laughs> like who is that like, uh, I don't, do they the even cat? name him they don't no. even name no. him he just you dresses like you, have you, the sub, you have the subtitles on it. Real realizes oh, okay. real. If you know him, you know him. If you don't, they're like. Fuck <laughs> <me."> <laughs> That's my man over there. Yeah. Right. So, no, but, but like it's the it's the cat. It's the cat. It's just this the weird cat. Yeah. Yeah. Cat sheep. <laughs> so, can, can we just get like a read of the room? Like, well, you can't just show a hand for this in a video box. It's like, who? Like, yes or no? Did you like this? I love the ending. Okay. I really liked it. Okay. I. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah, Colin. I think it was fine. I mean, it's, it's the problem I grappling can't with ima- is. Imagine it not being anything more than fine if you're not yeah. invested in Final Fantasy. Okay. Yeah. yeah. That's the that's the problem I'm running into is like I understand the legacy behind this game, but I also have no connection to anything okay. here. That's fair. I, I I think it is audacious bold and the right move to change this yeah Mm, okay but but big but here uh i don't like kingdom hearts at all okay Okay, so i was was thinking about this (laughs) okay i was i would like to start in this section if i may so lead a little bit here with kingdom hearts um so as a fan of both though much bigger of Final Fantasy. For me, the difference... I was, like, reflecting on this, and I was like, oh, this is such Kingdom Hearts bullshit. Like, blah, blah, blah. Like, mm. But what separates it for me is that Kingdom Hearts is never grounded in the way all the hours before the last mm. final hours of Final Fantasy yeah. VII are. Like, it yeah. means... It, it is grounded in a way not just in its discussions of anti-capitalism and revolution and fighting against systematic oppression and forces much larger than you, um, but just in in its legacy and also just like in ways that Kingdom Hearts is not grounded in. Like I do not take much of Kingdom Hearts seriously because there isn't a connection to the real world issues in the way that Final Fantasy VII very explicitly likes to do. And so for me, the whole defying fake Kingdom Hearts thing worked Mm. much more than in Kingdom Hearts itself because everything that came before it was grounded and these characters felt so much more realistic than Kingdom Hearts characters have ever felt to me and this is someone this is as someone who has played these series for roughly the same amount of time um, and had an equal amount of investment in them so that's kind of how I feel Mm. about this like it just it, it worked it was more meaningful for me, even though a lot of it felt like, oh, this is very, like, Kingdom Hearts, like, defying fate, yeah. blah, blah, blah. So, 
Kingdom Hearts is Tetsuya Nomura's personal philosophical beliefs writ large with a budget and <laughs> has like that's all it's completely unmoored from anything else besides like the personal opinions of one man who has some really shitty opinions especially about women sometimes <laughs> in the, the Kingdom Hearts franchise and, uh, <laughs> and this at least yeah this is go this is going off of like a, a story that was already written before Tetsuya Nomura got here so he can inject some of his like stylistic choices in terms of like defying fate and stuff like that, but it is not just about whatever he happens to be thinking about that day when he's like laying an, in a fucking sunbed or something like that, and saying like, you know, what if I will ruin you died, but your body kept going? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, and I think it's important yeah. too because I fell into the trap of immediately being like, oh my god, no more, you did it again. But <laughs> this is very much like he is a director, but it is very much a collaboration between him. Right. Yeah. Uh, uh, God, I forgot his name. Um, Saito. No, wait. No, I know Nojima, yes, but um, okay. And then Mamoru uh, Toriyama Mamoru from the Final Fantasy Thirteen trilogy. Mm. Okay. Um, it is definitely a collaboration between the three, and the one thing that made that really get drilled into my head is that if this was entirely Nomura's doing. The female characters wouldn't have been so well written. Uh, <laughs> fair enough. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, I um. So I have like a a really complicated feeling on this because I I feel like it's kind of public a very public facing message in a way that I don't. I guess I haven't really seen enough people talking about. Like, it feels very meta in the way that it's like Square Enix being like, we want like the license to do whatever we want with this game and not be beholden to you know the past and we you know not not just in like the story beats and just the way that we expect things to go mm-hmm. and i think that's like a really really bold thing to do especially like to be like we are like kind of like reclaiming agency of our story i just don't know if like a game that has been like what, like people have been asking for it like since like the tech demo the ps3 tech demo like 15 years ago and even, like, this game specifically, people have been waiting for for about five years now when they announced it at E3. It's like, was that really the game to do this with? Was that, like... Because it, it's, like, fundamentally changed my relationship to this game. Because, like, I had spent so long... Like, you know, because, like, I had only gotten so far in the original game, but I knew things that were going to happen. I knew characters yeah. who weren't going to make it. And I was like, okay, I'm not going to get, like, invested in them. Like, because I'm going to, you know... Right, right, but right, right. But then I was like... You know, just through playing the game, like I was like, it was starting to chip away. Like I was like, I was, I was feeling a lot for air, despite the fact that I was like, nope, arm's length. I, I know what's gonna happen to you. I am gonna <laughs> right. be a, just a passive onlooker no, at whatever's going on in your life. This. And then, this will not win me over. <laughs> and then, but then, then she did. But then, we have basically been put in like a what if scenario. And I'm like, right. I don't feel investment in like this game the way that I even did, you know, midway through because there's no reason for me to stay invested when I know that this isn't what really quote-unquote happens. This is, like, them right. playing around in, like, a very meta narrative, and, like, I don't really feel like it's as interesting as... Like, okay, I don't want to say it's not as interesting as I think it is, because, like, again, I think it is a very bold statement to make, especially with the game of its caliber, but I, I just don't... Because, like, you know, you advertise it as Final Fantasy VII Remake. People are coming in, being like, oh, I don't need to go back and play the original game because, like, this modern yeah, this, this take on it. it. Right. Yeah, and so, like, 
I've talked to people that like never played the original. It's like, okay, I came in expecting this to be sort of like the stand-in for me to go back and play this very important game. And it's not. And it's not that. Like, like you still it's like there, like if you thought Final Fantasy VII was like a very like important game for you to play, you still have not played it, and you're not gonna have played it by the end of this, unless they yeah. do some sort of like like I made the comparison talking to some people about like um, Life is Strange, like the original uh, the original Life is Strange, where like that game is about changing fate like so many times but like ultimately certain things are inevitable and right like me there's part of me sunset with my girlfriend yes hell yeah natalie <laughs> yeah, made the right choice i'm so sorry to kind of keep going no no but like, well i mean you're right so like i, I mean know. solidarity on that yeah. but I just to make yeah. It known. yeah so like i just i am hesitant to like again, I'm, I'm hesitant to get invested, so now like, I feel like I'm more interested in seeing what changes they make because I feel like that is just as interesting as like the notion of like we want to be able to change things because we want the agency to do that because I think what they change is just as like like it says just as much as that like sort of meta narrative does on its own. And one thing I do, I just want to say really quick about that, as somebody who has read a fuck of a lot of comic books, <laughs> the origin of the what if story of the Elseworlds, the, the right. fucking Marvel and stuff like that, the thing, I don't think that this is a what if. Like, I don't think this is like an alternate timeline. This is, differentiates itself uh, very, you know, succinctly from that in the sense that the, the universe, the game's universe itself, is aware of the existence mm -hmm. of the other universe and actively is pushing against not only the not only the uh, NPCs by like knocking Jesse's grenade back at her to, to kill her, which is why I think she's alive because that would be such a cheat if she died that way. But uh, that was also like you literally fight against it and fight against fate and stuff like that. Like it is acknowledging past events that just happened to happen in the future for these characters, and that very much sets it apart from like an Elseworld or a, a what if from me in the classical sense because those things are bottles. Those things do not acknowledge the existence of other stuff. Those are like fun thought exercises and this is like very specifically tied into like something in the timeline of this universe has broken mm -hmm. and what that thing is that we find out is that Zack never died outside of Midgar. He was not gunned down by uh, Shinra. He survives that battle and takes Cloud into Midgar with him and that has a ripple effect on it that is throwing the universe out of whack in a way that like the universe has to literally literally produce antibodies to fight back against you and then you fucking kill the universe's t antibodies for time which is exactly my kind of bullshit I'm right here for like we're literally going to fight the anthrop anthropomorphic personification of destiny eat shit I'm gonna shoot yeah. it with a gun and my big red dog Clifford. Uh, uh, yeah. <laughs> Clifford, go fuck that guy up. Oh my god, you'll be like Renoa and Angelo, but you're oh, Stephen yeah. and Clifford, and you just shoot Hell Clifford yes. out of your arm. Yeah, no. I could do I, worse than being Renoa. I think, uh, I was going to say something, then I forgot. Oh my god, my one brain cell. Um, <laughs> really no, coming through right now. Yeah, it's really coming through. Uh, okay, so I wanted to say that I absolutely agree with that, because... It's very, it, it would have been possible to see it as a what if until the moment it started showing explicit scenes from Advent Children, which I know was not a good movie, but we must acknowledge that it exists and that it is a force to some degree. 
I'm sorry. Uh, and and it is acknowledged in this game. There are explicit scenes with Nanaki yeah. running, you know, in um, the canyon, and there are. Uh, my, my, ooh, hold on one yeah. second. That's not an Advent Children scene. Uh, That's in the original. Uh, there is the the, the fight with Sephiroth at the end and of Advent Children. Yeah, I mean, I, like, some of them seem like I, renditions of like original Final Fantasy VII scene, like scenes. I only partially agree with this idea that Advent Children was in this thing because, mm-hmm. like, I, I, like, I know that they showed the confrontation between the co- confrontation between Sephiroth and Cloud, but that also happens almost that exact same way in like five other things, yeah. right? I, so, I like, will say though, too, like, I think Advent Children exists in this timeline and matters in this timeline in the sense that I think them changing the future is explicitly a thing and this is also a very that big that they're showing thing. right that, 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 yeah they're, they're trying to like avoid that future from ever happening because the future of advent children uh sucks not and now i'm not that's not a quality judgment about the movie we've already litigated that i'm just saying that like things are bad for people things in are advent bad. Children. Yeah. right yeah. and and they don't want that to be the case and like i think it's red 13 it even specifically says like like cloud or, or tifa or someone asks like what was that because they start getting flashes of the future like that's where they start to see those scenes that honestly if you told me that those were just the like cg flashbacks from advent children of like cloud putting Aerith's body in the water and stuff like that i would just believe it mm-hmm. um right. But and then like Club Red Thirteen is like this is a vision of what the future will be like if we don't stop it or whatever. Yeah. It's right. like it's very much a thing that they want to avoid. And in the comic book sense of that, in the like Marvel Cinematic Universe of it to a, to a lesser degree, but mostly a comic book thing. This is like a very common thing in very long, windy, overproduced timelines in fiction. Is what you do is undo all of the like bad uh, cross media stuff that was developed over the past like 10 years with right. a big dramatic canonical event it's the it's a yeah. uh, Oh, it's the flashpoint of flashpoint uh, yeah it's the flashpoint of final fantasy flashpoint secret wars uh that new fucking doomsday clock that's the new thing that dc is doing because they fla- did flashpoint and then everybody hated the stuff they did after flashpoint so now they're undoing flashpoint right now <laughs> can i talk about narrative coherent i mean uh coherent narrative design for a second on a final because... fantasy podcast yeah <laughs> because because here here's the real point if you take if you take these the original game in 1997 the game has weight and consequence. So Aerith dies and she doesn't come back. And the planet is saved by a miracle created by Aerith's death, essentially. And not everything goes back to a good place, but a lot of it does. And you don't even really see what that is until a post credit scene where you see like an overgrown green midgar and nanaki and his kids are like hanging out and like there's something about leaving the universe as it is and as it was in that moment that is both interesting and bittersweet and finite and i personally on a personal level i like that i Mm. think that feels good i think it feels good to know that things ended up where they were and it's not all uh sunshine and roses but it like it made a it made a a, it made a material sense right Mm -hmm. we nothing can nothing can ever end up like in a bittersweet or weird place to me with nomura and with all this stuff like it 
the the, the constant re-editing of a finite ending into something that has an alternate timeline and alternate selves and all this stuff is just so exhausting for me mm. and i i just i'm good i'm good like right. I, i'm glad that they did something different with this because what were you gonna do are you gonna spend you're gonna spend 250 million dollars over the past you know over the next few years <laughs> to just make the same fucking thing i honestly like, think people would have been happy with that well, a, a certain group would have been happy with that, yeah. And those people have no taste. Because up until, like, up until <laughs> the last few hours, I didn't feel that it was particularly lacking. Like, it had flaws, but right. the additions that they added and the nuance that they added to not just characters like Jesse and Biggs and Wedge, but also Aerith and Tifa, um, sure. I think it added enough to be interesting and to feel like like an improvement upon the original in terms of like complexity mostly in the writing um but i didn't feel up until that point that it was lacking and i think people would have genuinely been happy for the most part to get that like i i do not see people mostly unsatisfied until the last few hours like it's those last few hours where i see the diverging point that it, it is right. like there are people on all sides like there are people who are longtime fans who love the ending and people who are longtime fans who hate the ending there's no clear correlation but right. that is the only diverging point i would say like if it worked for you until then it worked if it didn't it <laughs> didn't the ending doesn't make it work anymore if it didn't already work for you but it does make or break it for you even mm. if it had already worked up until then um so yeah. i think people would have actually been happy with that especially with the legacy that this game has which is which just makes it all the more yeah incredible just the audacity of this yeah i mean i guess that's the difficult part is that like from a we just don't from know. a from a mechanical like a logistical standpoint of do i want to buy the rest of these and play them if i knew that they were basically just doing a straight retelling i think my personal desire to do that would be pretty low like yeah, the same honestly you know yeah. like you know i'm like okay well but i like the original and it's fine and, it, and it's evocative and suggestive in a way that like i i actually appreciate you know and and i don't necessarily need this visual overhaul in order to express those things to me more effectively like i just don't need that mm -hmm. so so from that standpoint i'm like nah i wouldn't do that but at the same time like well i think what this game did that i ultimately liked again i have to say that i still ultimately like this game but the existence of this game in its current state almost made me almost convinced me that i wish they just hadn't done it i just kind of i'm like well then do something else like if you didn't want to do this do something else right and that's what it felt like to me is just going like yeah all the shit we don't want to be beholden to it and i'm like right. okay okay yeah fine right make so, final fantasy 16 like, the, like right. do something else then you know like that's the part of it that i think is maybe a little bit frustrating for me is that like yeah you're gonna you're gonna basically rewrite this whole thing and it's gonna be something different and we do need to take some time to talk about what we think that might be and we'll do that yeah. in a second but like 
I guess my my feeling is like, yes, I'm glad it's something different. Also, the fact that it's different makes me think it shouldn't exist in a way, right. which is weird because because like I appreciate that it's different because from a creative standpoint, I can't imagine having a team together that's that's just going to sit there and make the same fucking thing that they made 23 years ago. Like I get that. You know, do something different, but also maybe do something really really different. It feels like the most elaborate so- fan fiction. Right. Yeah. So I have, a, I have a very weird comparison to make that's kind of off the wall, but uh, I know at least two people here have played the Danganronpa series. Yes. <laughs> okay. So, yes. Yeah. So yeah, that's what's up. <laughs> I got big Danganronpa V3 vibes from this. Mmm. And I'm going to try to be as vague as possible. That game ends in like a very meta way that talks about like, being beholden to fan demand and not wanting to keep doing the same thing over and over and over. Mm-hmm. And while Final Fantasy VII Remake is not as explicit, that is still the sense that I got from this game, which leads yeah. to the same thing as you were yeah. saying, John, which is like, if you didn't want to make Final Fantasy VII Remake, one, why did you call it that? Two, why did you invest? Like, you're going to invest several more million dollars in however many more games you're going to make of this. Right. And, you know, it... And it's it's hard for me not to be like also frustrated for people that wanted that did want that you know one to one remake or you know to very degree like they wanted a Final Fantasy VII remake and that's what they were asking for and I like Final Fantasy X was for me what Final Fantasy VII was for most people so like I don't have that same attachment to Final Fantasy VII specifically but I feel for people that maybe thought that they were getting something that they clearly are not from people who didn't want to make that in the first place. So I might be, ironically, on the opposite spectrum for this. Um, having played through... Now, now obviously, I'm going to compare to probably the other remake that I have more experience with is the Resident Evil ones. So Resident Evil 2 is fine, but Resident Evil 3, I have a, I have a deep connection to those games. And Resident Evil 3, I, I really disliked because it was really shot for shot, and they didn't expand. I think when you have the opportunity to narratively and visually expand on this universe because you were so limited back in whenever this whenever the game they're remaking came out i think it's really interesting to take those times to really like build upon the characters and let them breathe but i think i don't i don't really understand why like so i don't know i think i know the answer but i'm not 100 percent the mainline entries in final fantasy have no connection to one another right Right. unless they have like like I mean, that's getting into a bigger. Yeah. That, uh, okay, okay, but I don't know. Is it an evilies game? The simplest answer I can say is no. Yeah, no. But there's an asterisk. <laughs> there's an asterisk next to that no. Yeah. But yeah, like that's I essentially. So, it. I, so if from what I'm just on, because I'm obviously giving you guys more talk on this because I don't have <laughs> that much experience with Final Fantasy. Is if this is such a, a departure at the at the end from from seven. Would it have if this was Final Fantasy 16, but it was like an alternate timeline of seven, and it it tells a different story, but it kind of weaves into seven? Do you think that would have been accepted by the fans to to make a core entry, another entry in the game that kind of connects to this world, or do you think the the remake was a better choice? Because I feel like if they made 16 and they wanted to really tell this alternate timeline story and they go about it, it just would read even more like a fan service game yeah. than what apparently it already is. I think you couldn't have done that without people still asking for the one-to-one remake. Like, people, like, yeah, why, if, you can, if you can make this, why can't you make the thing we asked for? 
yeah. I feel like I feel like one to one remakes don't always work. <laughs> oh, no, no, I don't. I, feel, I, feel, I, feel I don't like think they, they do most of the time. Like I think I think it's always a mistake to do that. Like Zack Snyder's Watchmen right. available on DVD from for purchase now. <laughs> <laughs> no, God I, Christ, I can't even imagine ma- remaking like a an eighty hour game. Yeah, on like the, the PS One area. Right. Yeah, shot for shot back now. Yeah, and I just I just can't imagine trying to do that and just wrap my head around like how much of a task and how just boring that would be honestly yeah no i mean i i think i think again i think it's a complicated situation because like yeah the folks that wanted a shot for shot one-to-one remake of this like i don't understand those people i personally i don't like i i know they exist i I respect that this is what they want but i have no desire to have this like very exact same thing and so in that regard i'm thankful that the Final fantasy 7 remake took a lot of chances and that's really cool but i mean to your point about like you know what if they just decide to make a mainline entry and basically just weave in that same thing i think that's kind of what they're gonna do like i to me that's what it feels like to me is that they said oh here's this thing that you thought you knew but it's going to jump off into this sequence of much larger much more complex games that do not follow the path that you are familiar with and logistically i have to imagine that internally with a team that size this is probably the big single player thing that they're working on and not something else in the chain like it feels like they've got 14 and they've got whatever Final Fantasy VII's next thing is, and that feels like it's about it right now. Like I would be very surprised if they were working on anything else other yeah. than these games right now. Other than, like if they like, they announce sixteen like in the next like three years. Yeah, I don't think surprised. there's any way. No, and I think actually this ties back into something that I've been meaning to say here, which is that we're kind of ignoring one part of this we're talking a lot about like the creative aspect and like the creative drive to go back and redo this thing and do something different with it and whatnot and i think there's there's two pillars of this which are yes you're right absolutely you're both absolutely or you're all absolutely right about it being like it feeling like they don't want to just do the same thing all over again but also we should keep in mind sorry are the capitalistic reasons Mm. Yes, exactly. Like they, this, this game is going to sell so fucking well. It has <laughs> oh, yeah. sold oh my so God, well yeah. already. It, yeah, it, 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 yeah well. exactly. And th- there's that, and there's also the fact that, like, look at what just happened with, you know, the last two mainline Final Fantasy games that weren't the MMO, an MMO that you know now is doing gangbusters and is an incredible game, but also launched in a huge fucking debacle. Thirteen. Right. 13 obviously has its fans. Natalie, a big fan. Uh, it, 13 obviously influenced 7 Remake a lot. Like, yeah. the combat system it's, is very similar. It's going to get a second look, I'm telling you. That, yeah. whole, that whole trilogy is going to get a... A, I renewed, want to, a renewed look because it is it borrows time. a ton <laughs> but, but I do, I do think that's an interesting point because for some time now Final Fantasy has struggled with what yeah. John said of editing and going back and changing endings I mean 10 has 10 too and a lot of people yeah, were very but, upset with how 10 to recon, retconned um, the original's ending 13 and Thirteen two and Lightning Returns are all 13, sort of thirteen three. Uh, yeah, uh, are sort of yeah they're edits of the original ending, which I thought was fine, but other people didn't like, and so it, it, it's but, something that Square Enix has been doing for a while, and it's kind of I don't know how to feel about it still. Like I, 
don't know. It's, it's really complicated. Art is complicated. And- just to finish my yeah. point though about the, about the money aspect of this too and like the, the just the, the the series has struggled to maintain relevance in recent years like yeah, final helps. fantasy 7 was the like was the initial jumping off point for the series becoming the like juggernaut that it was in the west especially uh, 6 you know 1 through 6 obviously obviously had their successes and did well 6 is like uh, revered by tons of different people but it was not what seven was Mm -hmm. seven was a cultural touchstone in a way that like jrpgs had not been at that time and returning to that feels like a reset like financially and creatively because the games have struggled so much in recapturing a lot of that magic that kind of fizzled out around the time of 13 honestly like a, mm-hmm. in terms of like a fan like as much as i think that 13 also probably deserves a reappraisal that was about the time that things started to kind of maybe go sideways for the franchise in like the general cons- public consensus yeah. and for them this uh, presents probably like an economic opportunity where it's a blank check to kind of start deciding right. like okay what the fuck is final fantasy even anymore yeah like, what that's fair we, we spent 17 years making Final Fantasy 15, and the results were... I like Final Fantasy 15. Uh, the boys should kiss. But <laughs> very mixed results on, on that one uh, for a lot of people. And, like, 14 obviously launched with really difficult times. And 13, I've already said. So, like, this gives them a moment where they can be like, okay, we're in a rebuilding phase, both economically, because we are giving ourselves, like, basically this huge mountain of money and this huge influx of cash, and that is basically a guaranteed success and on top of that we get time to figure out what the fuck we're even doing yeah i mean i i can see that i could definitely see them saying and i alluded to this on another podcast where i i was telling someone i think it was i think it was matt sancombe over at hard times uh-huh. in, in that interview i did i was like it, it kind of because i'd only been playing through this for a couple of days when i was talking to him and and i i did say you know, this maybe kind of sort of feels like that they've run out of ideas. You know, just just the fact that they're that they've yeah. made this and they've done it. But now that I've sat on it for a few weeks, I kind of get you know one. There's the economic sense that y'all y'all have mentioned, where you know, yes, this thing is going to do a certain amount of sales, even if they had basically fucked it up real bad. Like, even if they had messed it up, it still would have sold something uh, just based on nostalgia alone and just kind of seeing what they what they did with it. But yeah, I agree that I think now that I think in a way I was right in the sense that they've run out of ideas in the in the in the only in the sense that they have run into a wall where their creative decision making is not making the kind of profit it used to. Yeah. And because in the in the 90s and in early 2000s they were making games that as far as i know were profitable enough to i mean certainly in that 90s stretch were enough to green light and publish i mean fucking what 25 games in a in a in a five-year stretch that mostly did well and weird shit like experimental shit yeah and and that's not them anymore like this this they they do a couple tent poles and they take forever to make them and this maybe feels like a way for them to one have familiar ground to trod so they don't take as long with it maybe although it's nomura so who knows yeah, i mean this got out in five years as opposed five years, to 15 years yeah that's you know? short for square for modern square enix <laughs> yeah. five years is short mm. 
And this also felt like a like a testing ground for the combat to to really find uh, combat because Final Fantasy fifteen is so dumb. It's incomprehensible combat for me. <laughs> it's, it's all the X and you win the game. Yeah. Um, so it does maybe feel like a way that they're saying like, okay, we're going to give our team the ability to kind of to familiarize themselves with the basics of this whole thing. And like, mm-hmm. let's get down to brass tacks about what works with the series and what doesn't. And maybe that's a way that they can get to an economic sta- stability point. I mean, I don't know. And why not do it with a thing that, that gives them an advantage? Like, I right. guess that makes exactly. sense. Yeah. And, and even going back to the 13 style stagger system for the combat here, like does feel like they're kind of reaching into their back catalog of like saying like, well, what does, what represents Final Fantasy 13 or what represents Final Fantasy as a franchise at this point in terms of uh, gameplay? And we're willing to reach back into the well. We're willing to reach back to right. a game that like was kind of, uh, you know, received a mixed reception at the time. But we know we have the confidence to say, actually, that combat in Final Fantasy 13 slash and we're going to keep that and bring yeah, it forward fucking 70 years later, you know, like however long ago yeah. Final Fantasy 13 came out. Like that that almost feels as bold to me as just making this game into not a remake, quote unquote, you, right. know, you know, in a weird way. And maybe like, honestly, that is one of my biggest problems with a lot of uh, Final Fantasy games in the past is that they just dump a lot of the work that the, and resources that they put into. And this was actually like, in, if you want to get really into the weeds, this was a problem with a lot of Japanese game development for, for a number of years was just like, they would build brand new engines for each individual game. And then all the right. lessons they learned, all the stuff that they tried, all the work that they did was dumped for the next game as they rebuilt from the ground up. Final Fantasy VII Remake is built in Unreal Engine. Like, <laughs> right. it, and it's using an old combat system. And I think that's partially maybe them even just learning from a lot of the games that kind of welled up to fill in a lot of the space that was left by Final Fantasy for people. Persona 5 Royal is a game that builds on decades of Persona games and their and Shin Megami Tensei games combat with the whole press turn system and the one more or whatever they happen to be calling it in that various games or whatever. That is a franchise that doesn't throw out its ideas just because it's onto a new game and over time, you know, refined that, made it more accessible, opened it up to a wider audience. You go from three to four to five becoming like this huge success and, you know, Final Fantasy just kind of didn't do that for a number of years and now that they're back to that like that actually gives me a ton of confidence in them changing things from a like internal cultural like a like a development culture perspective now the problem i do have with that and on top of that is well they're willing to develop really good combat they need to get some kind of scenario writer or combat encounter writer in there to come shore up some of the shit where I don't have to, where it's just like (laughs) all right, you've spent, you've sat in this menu for 20 minutes setting up the exact perfect materia, it's so fun to play this build, Barrett, Tifa, Aerith they're all together, it's time to go walk five steps forward, cutscene, Claude fall down a hole, bye bye my friends are all going away (laughs) spend another 20 minutes in the fucking thing, setting up the material i did in the hojo's lab sequence when sephiroth oh shows God. up for, oh, real for real switching for the first and time. switching and switching yeah and switching and switching and switching and also just even before that there's a whole part where it's like okay you get the all four characters together plus red 13 they're all standing in the same room together if there's no party switch mechanic because the game is just constantly fucking 70 times throughout this game switching <laughs> who you are allowed to play with and who you're not allowed to play with only 20 percent of this game you even have a party of three it's fucked up and <laughs> 
at this part, it's like, okay, you can't control Barrett, and Red 13 is not a playable character in this game, so, because they're doing a thing over here. It's like, okay, so clearly, they've just brought the game band back together for the first time in many hours. They want me to be using these three characters. I can't switch to Barrett, so I'll just set them all up perfectly. Cutscene plays. Cloud, Cloud falls down a hole. I lose everything that I put on Tifa and Aerith, but you can reach in and grab their material, but that's another 20 minutes in the menus. And then you get, <laughs> run, I run forward. I've taken all of my materia off of Barrett because I'm like, okay, well, they clearly they don't want me to be using Barrett. I run forward 20 feet into a hallway and Barrett's in the middle of a battle in a fight against some like big, weird fucking robots uh, that spin around and are only weak to wind you like they're immune to like practically immune to physical damage unless you use wind magic on them cloud was my frontline healer barrett has no materia on him whatsoever and i'm in this fight against these two robots for fucking 15 20 minutes just fighting these two fucking enemies because the game doesn't allow you to go into a menu and you when you're in the middle of combat either so your only options are to restart from a checkpoint or not anyway that's my rant about that i'm going too long <laughs> so you you know, I, I you know, was I was on the same page with the Hell House fight. I think that's where the combat broke me, uh, yeah. where I got really frustrated. He's breaking a lot of I, people. Like, so, so I like the Hell House fight conceptually. I think the handheld Hell House fight is hilarious. I think it's such an interesting villain. I didn't realize it's actually like in seven. I yeah, that's yeah, it in is. The, but it's, it's a regular weird, enemy, though. Yeah. But but it's for those that don't know, like the Hell House switches elements periodically. Then it puts up this big ass shield that just makes it immune to everything, basically. So you you have to you have to basically match the the element. You have to do the opposing elements with fire, ice, etc. But I didn't know that going in. And since you can't switch your elements, I was basically stuck with my cloud having his fire sword and then Aerith only having blizzard. So I was like basically fucked through that yeah. entire fight. And I just ran around the arena, just going, all right, I just gotta survive till it switches. I just gotta survive till it switches. You know, you know the gif of the guy that's just like you know, you know, pointing at his head because he's like, yeah, because he's super smart. Mm -hmm, um, yeah. Just imagine that, but me saying like, uh, you can't have difficulties with these battles if you just always have it on easy mode, <laughs> like yeah, <laughs> like uh, like I did, which is a very easy easy yeah, mode in the grand scheme mm -hmm. of things. But it's not so, fun. It's not no, fun no, no, to no, not be able not, to engage in the mechanics. You know? I agree. I agree. It, it was more fun when it was uh when i had it on normal but in a couple of fights where i was like okay so basically this just like you know fucked me into a bad situation i was like okay i'm going easy and then i'm going to deal with this at a later date so that's that's kind of how i dealt with it uh quickly well go ahead what are you going to say very short thing it was just a, but when they do especially in those last last three chapters of the game when you are just like given your whole i think this is partly why the sephiroth fight is so cool and works and the fight before right. that against those other enemies because they just give you your whole fucking party they yeah. give you a full party of three and yep. for extended periods of time or that part where you return from uh you go back through sector seven the ruins and are going over the rooftops and shinra soldiers are falling down on you for like that big extended sequence it's so fucking good to build a good build on these characters yeah. and have tifa do starshine and just like fucking blip around like Naruto smacking fools upside the face and like oh <laughs> that guy's got a flamethrower bow you're gone now because I just ignited the tank on your back it's so yeah, good 100 percent yeah just there was really that. good stuff like that there was really good stuff like that so let's quickly go uh, let's take maybe five ten minutes and then wrap it up um, give me one to two bold predictions about where this goes. I know I'm putting you all on the spot. Do you want to call in names? 
Yeah, Stephen, why don't you go ahead? Oh, God, after I just did all that. (laughs) (laughs) Where it goes. um, I mean, I think that they have written a big check here in terms of making sure that it is different from stuff that we should normally be expecting. Okay. Um, Because of that, literally, they put up a big fucking signpost at the end of this game saying, like, hey, it's going to be different from here on out. Uh Uh-huh. Um, I think we're going to get Zach, obviously. Um, uh, here's the thing, though. I think, um, and I think it was you, Natalie, who said this. I don't think it's actually going to be as open-ended as you would maybe think and expect from something like this. I think it's actually going to be a, a lot like this Midgar stuff, uh, again, but just in different environments. And instead of walking around the Sector 7 slums, it's going to be a relatively similarly sized area that just happens to be a canyon between, uh, I don't know, Nibelheim and wherever Zack is from. Uh, and that's... I hope that's not the case. I hope this is more them just testing out things and making sure the combat system works because another thing that I would love to see because that combat is so fucking good when it's good, another thing I would really love to see is repeated encounters with enemies where you're just really learning uh, to like narrow down and like perfect your build and your moves and enemy attack patterns and stuff like that. Like this game draws some some uh and and it makes sense because it's highly influential series it draws some inspiration from monster hunter sometimes with especially with like the summon fights in vr and stuff like that and like you know memorizing attack patterns even some of the controls are just pulled straight out of monster hunter sometimes and i think that uh giving me the opportunity to do more stuff like that and just like oh you need to fight like go go farm this leviathan and, and build your build you get just infinite time to play around and mess with your materia and create this like fighting force that plays exactly the way that you want to because that's a really cool system and you have an excuse to do it a lot uh i want something that allows that and an open worldish kind of thing that maybe brings back some of the uh hunt concepts from final fantasy 12 or 15 would be really really interesting uh and you know, give me big flashy monsters like Hellhouse and like variants on Hellhouse and, and stuff like that that I can fight um, to at my leisure uh, would be would <laughs> I know that's not very much of a story thing, but like I think I am actually just pretty happy with where they're going with the story stuff from here, just because it is so wacky and I live for that shit. Uh, that what I want to see is more improvements to the combat, basically. Okay, uh, Colin. Bold predictions about where this is going. Yeah, bold predictions about a franchise I have no experience. Yeah, with. listen. Uh, t- t- technically, anything would be bold for someone with no uh, uh, experience with it. So, I think I think narratively, the next game is going to be a lot more cohesive and a lot more understandable because it felt like this game was trying to balance two plates at the same time, a bunch of plates at the same time. Yeah. Drop one and of I them. Think- it, <laughs> yeah, it dropped a few. Yeah, it dropped a few. It's like a Greek wedding. I think I think going into the, the the sequel in quotations the the next entry is going to be a lot more cohesive because they're it feels like they ended it on a way that they can just tell whatever story they want while only hit needing to worry about hitting a few things. Um, I'm gonna make a bold, very bold prediction. I think one of the other party members that aren't Aerith is gonna die. Yeah, okay. I th- I'm gonna I'm gonna, I'm gonna I'm gonna guess it's I'm gonna guess it's Barrett. Better fucking not be. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I have a pretty big guess that it's gonna be Barrett, just because I feel like they're setting him up to die in a lot of in a, in a lot of this game. I feel like narratively they've been building him up, and I feel like 
emotionally outside of Aerithine, he would be the most impactful simply because you spend a lot of time looking for his daughter. There's an mm. entire sequence where you go hunting for her. The game is really, it feels like they're really trying to build Barrett up, and I feel like he's going to be the one that drops. Mechanically, I, I disagree with Steven. I think they might go open world here. I think Linner, uh, if, if the last game was a lot more open from my understanding from just you guys talking, I think they'll go, not maybe Final Fantasy, Final Fantasy 15 open world, but I think it'll be more kind of dishonored where you're dropped into these kind of bigger open areas mm-hmm. and you can more explore and venture, but it's not like a Red, Red Dead Redemption sized world. They're like bite sized, but there's still, there's a lot of room for you to kind of explore different areas. Okay. All right. So big, big bold prediction. You think Barrett's going to croak? That's a, yes. that's a, that's a big one. Okay. Uh, Kenneth, let's go with you next. Uh, hmm. okay. So my, what I think would probably just be like efficient would be for them to maybe make like the 13, 13, two lightning returns level sort of step each time. So they aren't taking another five years to make each of these games. So like I <laughs> yeah. gut reaction, I think we'll probably be done with this by like 2025. Like at the okay. latest, that is my bold prediction. That's actually um, a pretty bold prediction. Like if you think about it, like, <laughs> 13 and 13.2 and Lightning Returns all had only like two years. Oh, I know. Oh, no, you're right. Like, yeah. they can do it. I just, it's, it's, uh, that, that's a bold one for me, though. I, I think it's, I look, it's a good I look one. forward to meeting back on the podcast <laughs> in 30 years discussing the next entry. I just, <laughs> man, Final Fantasy 16 is never coming out, huh? <laughs> I just think yeah, it would exactly. be, I, again, I think it's just like an efficiency thing. I think they need to like not be dragging people on for like the next decade because. I, sure. I don't know. Like, I, I don't know that, like, at least me personally, like, I, I don't feel like I was rabid enough by this game to be, like, invested in enough for, to play something five years from now, but maybe two I could handle. Um, yeah. I also think my kind of bold prediction story-wise, I think that eventually it's going to circle around and it's going to go, like, it's going to be back on, like, on the rails. I think okay. something's going to happen where they're like, we have maybe fucked up this timeline to a certain point where, like, we can't win so, uh, oh god, I don't remember who it was. But somebody did like that. Um, it was like you know, you know the the scene in in game where Doctor Strange has like the one, yeah, uh, the like, one, and the it was one like path. pointing at Aerith, and I was like, mm, yeah, that, yeah, I I think it'll circle around. That's my bold prediction. I'm sorry. Okay, okay, Natalie, what about you? Mm, it's so hard to tell because <laughs> we're we're in a time paradox right now in the game in the sense that. Cloud existing as he is is impossible without Zack dying. Like, Zack dying right. is what sets off his trauma and his entire journey to Midgar, um, back home, and just, it, like, he is the catalyst for Final Fantasy VII. Like, it is, like, Aerith's death is not as important to Cloud's development, I would say, as Zack's is, because Zack is the catalyst for everything. Cloud meets Aerith because um, because Zack dies. So in order for that death to mean something to him, for him to have met Aerith, Zack needs to die first. So it's like, it's this huge time paradox. Um, I... Alright, so... I don't know whether it'll sort of circle back and try to maintain, like, the original story or if they'll um sort of try to 
avoid Aerith dying and maybe kill someone else in the process. If someone else dies, I don't think it will be Barrett simply because they already tried it here. Yeah. And yeah. so since they tried it here, yeah. the impact will not be what it needs to be if they try it a second time since they already had a fake out death with him. So I don't think unless it will he's be now better. marked for death. That is true. Final destination in theaters this summer. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, please give me a Basically. please give me a Rube Goldberg style death for Barrett, and I will give this game ten out of ten. <laughs> he spills his spaghetti outside, and he dies. Uh, sorry, Natalie. Go no, ahead, no, please. no, no. It's really funny, and I was thinking Final Destination throughout this entire thing too. So, uh, I, I think the prediction of twenty twenty five is extremely bold, and. Well, I do want them to release it sooner, and I understand the points of, especially the, you know, you can't expect people who aren't that invested in this to wait three, four, or five years just for mm. the next part, and then wait again for the one after that. As someone who likes 13 and who likes 13 too, I hope that they have learned from that, because Final Fantasy VII has a legacy that 13 did not. And if they fumble with that legacy by releasing mm. those games way too early without considering everything that it means to be Final Fantasy VII, I think it will ultimately backfire in extremely poor yeah. ways. Mm. Um, I think it's very hard to tell what will happen now. And it makes me excited because Final Fantasy, to me, has always been about being undefinable. Um, it There have it has such few commonalities among all the series entries that it's very hard to define what Final Fantasy is. I don't think even its creators sort of know exactly what it means to be Final Fantasy because it, it has grown into being so many different things across the last three decades. Um, if people established a notion of what Final Fantasy meant by the time that Final Fantasy VIII came out, that was shattered. And if they reestablished that notion again, entries like Final Fantasy XI, XII, those, and thirteen, those have really sort of broken the mold and sort of shattered any preconceived notions of what it means to be Final Fantasy. Um, so I also do agree with the idea that it will be a more focused story in the next uh, segment, just because it's not going to be wrestling so heavily with who this game is for and what mm. parts of its legacy does it dismiss and which parts of it does it stay married to. Mm -hmm. um, right now, that's kind of like out the window and, and they can do whatever they want with it so they don't have to wrestle as much with being faithful to all the events that had happened until then. We're in totally uncharted territory right now, so they can yeah. do whatever they want. And so it will be more focused as a result. Um, I'm. It's not an expectation, but I hope Aerith will live. Um, yeah. <laughs> I and I say this as someone who, uh, before I, I've gone back and forth on it throughout the years, but for a long time, Titus slash Titus got this little terrible that name. Uh, the protagonist for Final Fantasy X was my favorite. And as someone who adores Final Fantasy X's ending and legitimately thinks it's pretty much a perfect ending i was also kind of happy to have him back and to have him reunite with yuna it's like human beings and the art that we experience can cause such contradictory and polarizing emotions mm. and feelings mm. especially when you yeah, are so attached to those pieces of art in question that while i 
didn't want Final Fantasy X's ending to be changed, I also wanted Titus to come back, and similarly, while I think Aerith's death is so much bigger than her, and it's such a cultural moment in gaming, and it, you know, everything that there is to say about it, I also really would want her back, because she means a lot to me, and because yeah. I, I want to see her, you know, make a life with Cloud, or whoever she does, and sort of continue living on, um, I really wish she would have had more time uh, and been able to explore and, you know, experience all that life has to offer. I think about that a lot. And so I'm just hoping that will be the case. I can't say if it's the better choice or not, but I think Final Fantasy VII Remake is a lot about reckoning with what matters to you most individually. And I don't know if there's a game that has ever been like this that has so many varying and different individual responses uh, across like this huge spectrum and I think it's just about reckoning with what matters the most to you and what you think defines Final Fantasy 7 and Final Fantasy overall and for me like I just I don't know. I just I want her to be happy. I'm I'm okay <laughs> with her living. Um, I don't think Zach and her will live. I think either one of them has to die. Like it can't be both of them that make yeah. it out. I don't think that's very fathomable. Uh, but yeah, I just I'm I'm really excited to see where this goes. I I love the ending. In all honesty, I love the audacity of this game to exist at all let alone do what it does by the end of it um yeah. and it's it's very exciting i would have been excited anyway even if it was a more faithful retelling of the original but now that we're in totally uncharted territory with these characters that we most of us um have a connection <laughs> to it, it just gets me really excited and yeah, I just I really love the ending. I love it. Ah, this yeah. might be <laughs> it. Might be you. my game of the year, not because I think it's the best game of the year. Like the side quests fucking suck. Like let's just like <laughs> reiterate that one more time. The side quests suck. <laughs> oh my god. And there are other things that are wrong, or not that are wrong, but that are very flawed about this game. But just the just the audacity of this game to exist and for Square Enix to have made this game and decided to go this route is, like, it's so much to me. Like, everything happened so much and this game happened mm -hmm. so much and I can't believe it happened at all. And, uh, I'm just, I'm really excited. I, I feel very positive after everything. So, yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, can, can I make one more one-sentence prediction? Because I didn't, like, I mostly just sure. talk about things I want. I think they're going to redeem Sephiroth. Oh. Ooh, what? I think they're. I think Boy. they're gonna. I think they're gonna do that. Or they're gonna try to. Like whether or not we agree with it or not at the. At the I, end. I mean, I, there's 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 a base yeah. there's a basis for that yeah. in the sense that, I mean, Genova is a parasite that could arguably be the thing that's really fucking with Sephiroth more than mm -hmm. anything else. I mean, that's that, like he's a victim, you know, in yeah. of Hojo and and Shinra and all this stuff, you know. Yeah, there's there's there are seeds there. That's not mm -hmm. the craziest thing. Uh, also, I think it's 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 even less about like seeds. It's not to just like sorry after your incredibly heartfelt thing, Natalie, to just like go right into <laughs> no, just like please, fucking you, fantasy booking. No, no, no. But no. 
um, it, it, it because of all the reasons that I stated earlier in this podcast. It was like Sephiroth is such an iconic figure in that thing. I don't think that you end this game with Sephiroth or this this thing. I don't think Square Enix ends it with like saying, and now Sephiroth is dead and he's gone forever now. Instead, I think they'll right. be like, now Sephiroth is a good guy. And maybe he dies in like a heroic self-sacrifice or something like that to stop like a resurrected Genova or something. Because that's the other thing too about a lot of these like games and, you know, different um, side games and movies and stuff like that is that Genova, everybody's trying to resurrect Genova. Genova never really gets resurrected though. You never really super right. directly fight Genova the the force and she would, she is a built in alternate villain for them to fall back on if they want to make Sephiroth into a good guy. Right. Yeah, 100%. Uh, here are my two predictions. I think Tifa's toast and I think we see a Kingdom Hearts character. No! Oh! <laughs> This fucking cursed. And and I'm like I'm not even like that's not even a joke. I don't think Nomori can help himself. I hope it's Donald. Like I, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I do too. I hope at the I hope I, at another tragic event Donald's off in the corner crying. Donald sacrifices himself and casts Mega Flare. Is it what is the Zeta Flare? Yeah, and just instead of Aerith, it's yeah. Donald who gets impaled at the yeah yeah. Yeah, I I don't I don't think Nomura will be able to help himself. I think he's going to tie this into Kingdom Hearts. I really do. I, I, I just I have no basis for that other than I just don't think the guy can help himself. I th- um, I think we could make a whole podcast out of sort of Nomura injecting <laughs> yeah. a bit of himself too personally in his most recent works and yep. mm-hmm. his personal grievings with the company he is under. But that's for another day. <laughs> Yeah, um, yeah. I I was on the train of thinking that like Aerith is probably uh, still toast even after they're doing a, a re- misdirect. Mm-hmm. But it's like I nah. I kind of think Tifa is gonna be the the weird like that's that's gonna be the gut punch for a lot of folks. Trading um, one woman for the other. Oh, yeah. I wouldn't put it past no more yeah um well gosh we have spoiled the bejesus out of this game um thank you very much to the esteemed panel for helping me uh, unpack a lot of this we probably could have gone for another two hours on a lot of the stuff to be totally honest there's a lot to unpack in this game uh but i'm glad we were able to uh do some of this and uh, have a good time doing it um let's go around real quick uh colin where can we find you on twitter uh, you can find me on Twitter at Beguiled Gamer, B-E-G-U-I-L-E-D Gamer. Awesome. Natalie, where can we find you? You can find me at Hardimicia, Heart I-M-E-C-I-A, on Twitter. Awesome. Uh, Kenneth, where can we find you? Uh, I am Shepherd CDR, Shepherd Commander. <laughs> Excellent. Uh, Stephen, really where good. can we find you? Steven Strum on Twitter. Uh, that's S-T-E-V-E-N-S-T-R-O-M. Uh, you can find me at Floppy Adult. You can find Fanbyte at Fanbyte Media. I'm not going to go through the whole spiel. We have three podcast feeds. If you don't know about them by now, then that's your fault. But we do have three. <laughs> uh, you can check out all of our podcasts at fanbyte.com slash podcasts. Um, gosh, who am I going to pick on today? Natalie, please send us out with some words of encouragement. <laughs> um, okay. Um, okay. Hold on. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> follow your dreams don't let your dreams no I'm mixing up Cloud I, I mean I'm mixing up Zach and Shia LaBeouf 
<laughs> you know what? You know what? That's it. That's all. Um, That's all. Uh, I could do an imitation of Pikachu. I can do the Awoo voice. I can. Um... No, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm honestly good with that. Uh, I'm mixing up. All right. Don't and... let your dreams be dreams. What, what does Zach say at the end? No That's idea. it. He says goodbye, everyone. Thank you for listening to fanbite.com. <laughs> that's, that's perfect. That's exactly what Zach says. He's like, I can't believe I survived. I can't, listen, can't wait to listen to my favorite podcast. Can't wait podcast. to go to my favorite website, fanbite.com. Fanbite.com. I, I lived, and now I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriend and create a time paradox and listen to my podcast. Oh, we were supposed to spoil that part of the ending. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh my All right. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. Bye.